Greetings, troubled listeners, and welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I'm Renee Komen, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, Renee. How are you today? I'm good, man. I'm good. You know, uh, how are you? Oh, I'm, you know me. I'm, uh, I, I am who I am. I, 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 okay. I must not think bad thoughts, but I constantly do. And, and uh, you know, uh, it's going crazy, going nuts down here, as always. Um, uh, a sad thing I want to report, and then we'll get on to happy stuff. And I'm okay. sure you heard this, that our, 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 our favorite bar, the Circle Bar, will be no more. I know, yeah. I know. It, was, it really felt like a, a ton of bricks, man, you know? Yes. A bar I lived above for about four and a half years, a place where for a good 15 years it was a, a fabulous place to hang out. Um, and especially because New Orleans at that time was one of the only cities you could still smoke cigarettes, <laughs> you know, in the bar, in the bar, yeah, in the bar. Right. Yeah. But I told you it was over, I think over the summer. Well, you've said that a number of times and, and we have been thinking that for a few years because, you know, they s sold the building and then the lease was coming up and they weren't sure if it was going to be renewed. And then, but it actually has lasted longer than I thought it might, you know, because it's uh, rumors of its demise, uh, you know, were, like I said, longstanding, but then it would keep going. I thought, well, I'm just going to quit thinking that it's going to end because it's already outlived, uh, you know, those, those timelines I thought it might be on. So, I mean, obviously this is a very, uh, you know, difficult time to, for, for all venues, particularly, you know, Circle Bar is such a, such a, a little, uh, you know, pocket of a place. You can't really do much distancing in there. And, yeah, just couldn't, uh, couldn't withstand that, uh, that long shutdown. Well, yeah, they couldn't do it. And, I mean, they were hanging by a thread to begin with the last year or so. I mean, Dave, I talked to him a few days ago, and I told him, I said, Dave, if you want me to help light the match, I'll do it. <laughs> you, know, you were ready to pitch in, man. Yeah, I was ready to pitch in, and right. You know it, that lady who owns that whole area. It, she was just like, you know, we're going to do something here, and he didn't want. He didn't want. I mean, he has till the end of the year to do whatever he wants, but he doesn't want to do anything because it's just going to cost him more money if he tries to do anything. And why bother? Well, yeah. What can you do? It's you yeah. know we're through two two and a half months from the end of the year anyhow. Yeah, uh, but I, I was very surprised how much press it got. Well, you know, it's a it's a beloved place, man. It wasn't just just uh, you and me. You know, you think of how many bands played there, and oh yeah, uh, you know, like uh, going back to the Geraniums. You know, Kelly Keller, she was such a great curator of of local uh, bands as well as uh, acts playing on the road. You know, people that would play in other cities where they, you know, they were like a kind of a big act in other cities. They maybe didn't have a following in New Orleans, but wanted to have a New Orleans play. And, yeah. you know, that was always a spot you could do it. You, you weren't going to make money there coming in as an, an unknown band in New Orleans, but you could have a cool gig and people could come see you and, you know, you'd have a cool time in New Orleans. And But there was man, also big acts there that played that probably didn't make money either. Like, I, I remember seeing Hank Williams Jr., the, the third or whatever his name was. Right, yeah. He played there. I saw Lucinda Williams just walk in one night. Because I used to work oh. the door a lot there, especially uh -huh. during the weeknights. Mm -hmm. I'd work the door and people would come. I mean, I saw uh, Ernie Cato play for like 10 people there. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. No, all kind of, like I said, yeah, big acts that, that maybe didn't have, uh, 
you know, didn't have a show set up or wanted to do something last minute or just something cool on the, on the down low, you know, yeah, it was a perfect place for that. You know, I'd play in there with the geraniums or Glenn Styler. You'd have like, uh, you know, Ray Davies in the audience or, uh, you know, I don't know, D different people would come in. They, you know, it's one of those, those, uh, places that you can sneak into and not get bothered. And uh, well, yeah, I, I think there's a great old story that Caroline uh, Caroline told us, told me um, that one night she was working like a Thursday and there was nobody there. And who walks in is Keith Richards. Yeah, yeah. He walks in and he goes, "Do you have a bathroom?" And she said, "Yeah." He goes, "Come with." You know, they went to the bathroom together, and because there was no one else in the bar, and you know, uh -huh. you know what happened. I think somebody. Something that's happened. Okay. But, it, you know, it was good times. And it, the saddest thing for me is, you know, I spent so many Mardi Gras upstairs because I lived there. Right. And, uh, and I used to get carte blanche if I ever want to go up there for Mardi Gras since I, you know, since I moved and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I, I didn't go much, you know, in the last few years. But there's other news going on, too. Uh, other bad yes. news, I want to say. Our, okay. our, friend, our friend Wadzilla. Uh-huh. Wadzilla uh, uh, called me uh, Sunday morning, uh, said that we couldn't watch our game together because he had to get tested. Hmm. You know, because he was with workers who were 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 being uh, tested, and really? uh, he uh, so I couldn't watch the game with him. And then uh, just yesterday, he said uh, it, it, the test was negative. Okay, so well, he that's good. He's very depressed because he's been trying to get pregnant for years. Okay, <laughs> it's still yeah. still another yeah. disappointing yeah. Uh, pregnancy yeah. test. Yeah. Oh well, for Wadzilla, yeah. For oh Wadzilla. shoot, shoot. Well, and, uh, other things going on which I find exciting because you know down here in the south, and I, I, you know I've grown to know a lot of history down here in the south, and and hmm. how 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 religion is such a stronghold down here. Uh, we have, oh, yeah. our, uh, you know, the priest, the Catholic church down here is always getting busted for, uh, you know, with, with altar boys and stuff like that. Right. But the biggest story, and I'm sure you know this. Oh, yes. I have them both cut out in front of me. Go, <laughs> go on. Go ahead. So the biggest story is that uh, little parish or that little area, Pearl River, Louisiana, Mississippi, where yeah. this priest who ran this little tiny church, and he was a young guy, a young priest, yep. uh, was caught making a porno on the altar of the church. Yep, sure yeah, sure was. Yeah. With two <laughs> dominatrix who were dressed in like, I, I guess, some kind of Catholic gear or whatever. I don't know. Well, he said uh, corsets and high heels. Um, so they weren't, yeah. they weren't exactly uh, all, all uh, uh, habited up. But, but he was um, uh, partially unclothed, but partially clothed. I think he had his uh, priest top half on and right. no pants. Right. <laughs> and they had a couple tripods set up. Right, right. And they, they said action. They said action, man. And they, they went for it. Yes. And just, yes. And, but so happened, one of the parishioners or a cop saw that the lights were on. Is that well, what happened? You got the story. Read the story. I, I got the story. So the, yeah. the headline was police, colon, priest had sex with women on altar. Trio arrested in Pearl River last week. Right. So, yes, the story was uh, this guy, I guess he's walking his dog or something. It's like 11 o'clock at night. He's passing and by the church. explain to our listeners, Pearl River is what, uh, like 1,000 people or 1,200? Yes, tiny little town right on the Louisiana-Mississippi border. There's Pearl, the actual Pearl River separates the, the two states, but there's Pearl River, Louisiana, tiny little town. It's part of the archdiocese of, of Orleans Parish. You know, it's under the archbishop here. Um and 
a little backstory. Apparently, this priest that was involved in this had just replaced as the chaplain of a Catholic school, another priest who had to resign in disgrace after having sent suggestive texts to an underage student there. Right. And, uh, and then confessing to some other, um, you know, uh, uh, evil doings in years past to the, to the archbishop. So, so this young guy had replaced him as that chaplain of the school, but also had, he was the, uh, the, the, the pastor of this, this, small church and so so the uh the the neighbor is walking his dog and he it's like 11 o'clock at night and he he sees the lights on or are on at the church and he thinks well that's weird because usually the lights aren't on in the church so he walks closer and i guess there's like a big glass window on one yeah. side so he's he's peering in the window and he sees you know, all these lights set up and, and tripods and the two women in the corsets and and they're having sex with the priest and they have sex toys and they're on the altar fucking. And he pulls out his camera. And then the window that he's looking through gets stained. Well, yeah, it might be. It might need some Windex. Might, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, might, might need a good squeegeeing at this point. But, uh, but so he pulls out his, his, his own phone camera and starts, uh, starts filming the action. Then he calls the police because, you know, he's a killjoy. Oh, um, yeah. so, so the police show up. He shows them the video. Uh, they go around, they, they knock on the glass. The priest is somewhere else. I don't know, changing costumes. I don't know what he's up to, but, uh, but the women let the police in the police arrest them all for obscenity. Yes. Now, now it's, it's crazy. So, so it developed, the story develops, uh, you know, the, uh, another article comes out wherein the archbishop says, well, Yes, now that we've the more details have come to light, we realize we had to take that altar out of the sanctuary and ritually burn it, destroy right. it, because it's been defiled. Because he did a demonic deed or whatever, he was evil. Right, that's what that's what he was saying. Yeah, yeah so they 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 consecrated a new altar in there. Now these uh, the 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 dominatrices uh, are, are are very cheeky. One of them on her social media before the fact uh, put a a post saying um something about uh oh geez i, I uh, where let's see um uh i'm involved in a secret project uh what is it on my way to to uh, desecrate a house of worship or something like that oh god all right yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it's uh it was shocking man i tell you what but the attorneys for the two dominatrix said that they're totally innocent because they weren't doing it in a public place. It was right, actually right. in a private place because there's a separation between church and state, right? Yes, yes. So the, uh, the, the, the attorney was appalled. Yeah, he was appalled. appalled. Yeah, he got yes, he was arguing that his client's conduct was both private and legal because it did not take place in public. It right. Was involving well, that's a pretty good consenting defense. adults. I mean, you know. That's uh, you know, I think it's a good defense too. And, and actually, you know, you'd say, well, if you're walking by someone's home and they have their window open, they're in their bedroom having sex, and you go up to their window and peer in through the window, is that not a crime? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. It's called you know? uh, peeping Tom. Kind of yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't know, man. No, but it, it just gets crazier. You know, this year just gets crazier and crazier, man. I yes, mean, yes. Uh, I, I try to avoid it as much as possible, these debates and these... Uh -huh. things like that and it just you know i think i said this before it's just you know we're just becoming like a third world country 
Oh yeah, yeah. We've become a shithole nation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I tried to explain to uh, uh, somebody that you know all all great empires end. You know, sure. They all end, and and I think this is I think America is coming to that point where it just it's you know make it great again. Well, when was the last time it was great? That's what I want to know. Right, yeah. right. You know, we've we've always had a promise of that, but you know, once you 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 have uh, you know you start as a, as a republic and then it becomes an empire and then you know you get way overextended and uh, you know uh, debt is racked up and you're involved right. in all these uh, these places around the globe that you can't support. You know, the supply chain is too long; it's too expensive, and then the culture starts to collapse. Right. Rarely do do nations in that in that condition come back yeah yeah i mean look at the greeks and the romans and all yes 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 the ottoman empire on and on on on. you know i mean i'm just lucky to get through the day i hear you man well (laughs) at at this point seven months in now i gotta say manny maybe we're uh, seeing a few green shoots as they call them in the uh, financial industry a few a few sparks of hope Uh because for the first time I, I booked two live gigs uh, uh, for the uh, this month and and next month for your month. band. A, a couple of bands, yeah. I have one live gig with Susan Cowsell and oh, okay. another live gig with Tommy Malone, our former guest. And, well, two uh, former guests, yeah, two. Yeah, 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 two former guests. Yeah. yeah, I have actual live gigs, and I had a thing that hasn't happened in in this whole time. Obviously, is I have a gig booked this Saturday, and someone else called me for another gig that same time, which I had to turn down. It was like, fuck me, man. Is this, uh, you know, I don't know. It's uh, like I said, well, a glimmer of hope. Be careful, man, because I I think the spike is coming back. I I think uh, we're gonna see a huge another spike and. And you can see with even like our football teams, you know, college and pro, they're all getting sick, man. You yeah. Know? They're touching each other too, constantly. Well, yeah, that's a contact sport. No, it's, yeah, uh, you know, you know I, I'm very careful when I'm at these gigs. I have my mask on. So are these at venues that are reopened at a certain capacity or are these private functions? Um, one is a private function that's going to be outside, you know, someone's big property. We will be fine. We'll be away from people. Another one is some kind of, uh, you know, outdoor event. Uh, in a, a a large public space, and so that you know they'll they'll make uh, you know they'll have precautions in place. Because for I don't that. want you stage diving anymore, Renee. Okay, you're, you're <laughs> a little too old to be stage diving. Okay, Manny. Well, yeah, yeah. Cut you know, that so out, I, I got to play the bass, so I got to got to got to yeah. concentrate on yeah, uh, one one thing out. at a time. One thing. Yeah. At a time. So, yeah, it's crazy going nuts. All right. Well, listen. Uh, I don't. Let's see. I had one more thing. Oh yeah, I wanted to talk about this thing. Okay. Because I thought this was kind of funny. Um, well, there's a couple things, actually. Um, you know, uh, I guess to attract more business, every business is trying to attract more business, you know, because everyone's failing, you know, these companies shutting down and all that. But uh, I, I, I saw that the dollar store, you know, the dollar store? Sure, yeah, yeah. They're, they're all over the country, the dollar store. Oh, yeah, very popular. Every city has a dollar store. Right. And the dollar store now is going to open new stores aimed at wealthier shoppers. <laughs> okay. So these are people with a little bit more money than the dollar store customers. Okay. And they've decided to call it the $2 store. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Catchy. Yeah. So uh, let's hope that they do well. Let's, uh, let's hope they do well. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's always room for, uh, for an innovative idea, you know? Right. Exactly. You know, but okay, listen, I'm excited about our guest cause he's a, a guy I've known. Well, I haven't spoke to in years, but I knew him in a part in my life where it was very exciting. Yes. And, um, and, uh, he's probably got some fucking great stories and he's, uh, he, he's a podcaster himself or was a podcaster himself. I don't know. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. It's, but, uh, um, so go ahead, do your spiel, introduce this cat. Yeah, so so Nation, it's it's old home week here on the Troubled Men podcast, because our guest goes back to uh, the, the glory days of the 90s in L.A. Um, he's a, a drummer, a producer, podcaster, a co-founder of the legendary L.A. rock band Thelonious Monster. Without further ado, Mr. Pete Weiss. Welcome, Pete. Hey, guys. Manny Chevrolet. Okay, so one thing that uh, your listeners should know, Manny. Yes. Where did you get your name? Uh, I knew you were going to bring this up, motherfucker. I knew <laughs> starting you were, right off the bat. Huh? Yeah, right <laughs> off the bat, I knew you were going. Well, uh, <laughs> it goes back to what the late '80s or something like that, Pete. When I decided and to join a band, it was the Two Free Stooges, yes, and I dubbed the yeah Manny Manny Chevrolet. Yes, and it stuck, and it stuck big time, and 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 I will ever for be. Be in your debt. Although I, I love San Diego. Well, San Diego was my birth father's name, but my the dad who raised me was Bruno. That's a lot yeah. of information. So you know what's great? But everyone knows me by Chevrolet. Yes. I know I've taken that burden off your shoulders. <laughs> you know, in my uh, wisdom and uh, beneficence. So, uh, yeah, me and Manny uh, have known each other a great deal. Our connection was a gentleman by the name of Dick Rude. Yeah, Dick. Um, Repo Man. I don't know if you were there the night I met those guys. They came down to see uh, my fledgling rock band. It was called Thelonious Monster. In fact, it's still called Thelonious Monster, lo and behold. And uh, we went to, it was on some place on Hollywood Boulevard. And in the picture in my mind, it looked like a Shakey's pizza parlor. Like there might, there was lots of wood, <laughs> bright lights. And no, it was just, it was a, a very incongruous place that you would expect to play uh music at and especially uh the type of act that we uh were at those days which was more of an art project than it was a actual uh rock and roll band well yeah you know what I mean? exactly well I, I well let's go but back I, let's go a few years earlier okay because you meet flea on the set of a rock video right or a movie right you were doing me and flea met on the, uh, the second day of shooting a film called suburbia right, suburbia he had a part in it and I, you were doing audio right i was the sound guy and i sat down next to this uh, one of the actors at lunch and i asked him because you know in the punk rock days yeah. people would uh, take these monikers and they would be kind of pissy about whether uh they would tell you their real name or oh, i just go by you know spike now right whatever and i and when i asked him what's your real name because i you know i was much cooler than everybody because i was like i don't know three years older right and I'd, I'd actually seen the germs and hung out and been on the scene back in the real fledgling days i can't i would never go so far to uh posture that i was one of like the original hundred punks or the original right no, 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 50 no. punks but i was one of the first people in the valley the Val, you know, San Fernando Valley crew to leak over the hill. Hmm. That wasn't from like, say, Ventura Boulevard. That was already kind of city adjacent. Yeah, there was a group of us that came out of Pierce College, and uh, so uh, 
that's that's kind of how it got going. So anyways, when I was uh, he sat down next to me, I asked him, I said, hey, what's your you know real name? And he said, Michael Peter Balsery. And he said it with such honesty that for some weird reason, I went, you know, back in those days, it didn't matter if you had a seven o'clock call. It was the, you know, early 80s, 81 or whatever it was. You'd go out all night and on no rest or whatever, a couple hours, you'd go to work and you might get high at work too. Who knows? Whatever. Right. It was just like everybody was like uh, getting high or running around or there was so much art happening. So every night that week I went out, I ran into this guy. And I, we kind of like linked up from then on and through Flea, his girlfriend was a girl named Beth. Yeah, Beth. Yes. And she was an actress and she was in acting school, I think at UCLA with Dick Rude, which w- opened up an entire West Side connection to kind of like the momentum that our scene had going on. Now, all of a sudden, like in our kind of like East Side Hollywood kids scene, we started adding like, oh, wow, like some real filmmakers. And you know what I mean? Yeah, all those so, West Side guys. Yes, all those West Side guys. Yeah. Right. But you guys like, you had a different vibe, but you were, you know, we were totally on the same wavelength. Yes. You know, as far as humor and whatever was going on and music and drugs and chicks and oh, yeah. whatever. I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it got to be, a, there was a while there, there was a moment there that it was such a tight knit group that it, it, no one could break it. I mean, we were, we were like our own army. Well, that's ridiculousness because that means you haven't learned anything. That's the folly of youth. <laughs> Things like that. No, everything gets broken, kids. Yeah, you know? well, no, yeah, <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, look at us. I mean, look at a lot I, of us. I'd only gotten the heads up from Paul Weller and the Jam on the incredible a- album Setting Suns with the uh, ridiculously present song Thick as Thieves, right? Right. Where he's singing all about that, like he sees his buddy on the street, and it's like, "Hey, what's happening? Oh, I got to rush off." And but we used to, you know, and that's people, you know, li- uh, you your lives expand and you do shit. But. Right. But, but were you a musician, or you just all of a sudden said, "Hey, we need a drummer," and you just joined the band? No, 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 no. You have it. It's completely upside down. Okay, I'm 23 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my boy John Huck that I met at LACC Film School in 1978, and he was just like, you know, we were. Yeah, I remember you know, John. Yeah, sure. we were best partners. We still are best partners, right? He's like, you know. Anyways, he gave me a drum set, right? We're going. I think we were. St- uh, I was. Uh, I think we're still at LACC now. Maybe I was. I was working for Paul Schrader at the time. I can't remember. But point being. He gave me a drum set and I sat in my little underground apartment, like at a garden apartment, you know, half subterranean, windows on the sidewalk style, concrete thing. And then I had this famous photographer named Matthew Ralston lived right above me. And I played along towels on the drums, but I played along to Exile on Main Street for three months. <laughs> Never played a musical instrument in my life. And then me, Flea, Anthony, and Bob Forrest used to go out every single night and we'd invariably end up drunk seeing and tell it like it is. You know, that was just our thing. We'd be out in front of the party, the four of us, tell it like, you know. Okay. And so I got this idea. I'm like, I'm going to start a rock band and I'm going to call it Thelonious Monster. The reason I'll call it Thelonious Monster is because anybody who knows anything about music will be excited to see the name Thelonious on anything. So I've got the, the music head's attention right away. Then you throw a little pun on top of it because I'm telling you, back when I did this, I'm not trying to, like, uh, I am trying to shout my own number out here. There wasn't bands that were 
picking off. There was no Gnarls Barkley. There was no Ario Speed Dealer. There was, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, there was no two free Stooges or whatever. So I was like one of the first people to nick and, and try to get a hold of the narrative in the band name it, 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 by copying, you know, uh, riding the coattail of someone's impression. Okay. So anyway, so I, st- I called up, you know, Bob's the singer. I knew this guy, uh, John Huck's friend, Chris Hansen, that yeah. I, the only other guy I'd ever played with in my life. And we started there as a, as a four piece like that. And then we just started adding guitar players till we had Dick Danny of the weirdos. We had, uh, K.K. Barrett, who's the drummer. Yeah, in the, uh, I remember one drummer. time seeing you at some hotel downtown, and there must have been like 12 guys on stage, <laughs> you know? Talk about playing gigs at a hotel downtown. So we played the uh, Alexandria Hotel opening up for, I think it was either Alex Chilton or uh, Cubis Tier. And so this is really early on. And I'm, I'm in the joint, and there's this Hessian there, like this full-on metal dude, right? And I'm like, wow, like metal dudes are coming to see us play. Wow. So I walked up to the dude and I asked him like, oh, you about, you know, I don't know the exact phrase or whatever, but I was kind of checking him out because that's what you do when you first have a band, right? Because yeah. you're a dick. And uh, turns out it was Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. <laughs> oh, okay. Celebrity sighting, right on. <laughs> And he thought ACDC was playing, right? The only reason I'm telling you guys this shit is because I don't ever tell people this stuff because no one ever asks me. And I don't like to bore people, but these are stories I think that uh, people Well, this is why we wanted you on the show. Sure. you have Hollywood stories. I'll let let you stir the conversation. No, 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 no. I I just, there's just points that I'm trying to, uh, especially back in the 80s, that I'm trying to remember, you know? I'll I'll help you piece your memory back. Yeah, yeah. You know, you fired, but, uh, we yeah. fired through a big bank of synapses together, yes, my friend. Yes, I know. But I mean, I just remember like, you know, it would be one night I'd be hanging out with you and Dick Rude and Flea and we would go see a ball game or something and, and then maybe smoke a bunch of pot, you know. And then the next night, all of a sudden, I'm at Bob, Bob Forrest's house on Fountain Avenue. Oh, what a great place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's got, he's got, you know, uh, free tickets to see some band at the Roxy. Here's a sidecar, though, on that house at uh, Gardner and yeah. Uh, Fountain. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That joint? Okay. We reached rehearse in that little garage underneath it. Mm-hmm. In the 1960s, that behavior was mirrored by a band called Steppenwolf. Really? That was the, that Steppenwolf house. We didn't hmm. know it for for years until someone drove. Oh yeah, you guys are. That's the. They used to rehearse right in this garage where you guys are. Nice. Well, there you go. Well, that's the thing. Remember that, that that Hollywood that I remember. I mean, remember on Sierra Bonita, Dick and Brant's place. We used to jam in in the. Uh, in that's the home. Of, that was the home of the two. That's where yeah, uh, the two Free Stooges. The two Free Stooges with Schmarv, Schmarv. my old friend Schmarv. How's he was, doing, Schmarv? He's, you know, he's up there. He's been, he's been living on Horn, which is the street above Tower Records. Right. Yeah. Well, he's been there forever. He's been there since the seventies. Yeah, that apartment. And uh, so when Schmarv was bass player in uh, Two Free Stooges, he also had a goth band. Right. Yes. Screams for Tina. Yeah. <laughs> and and Tina was his wife, right? No. Oh. Okay. Absolutely. No, he didn't have wives. Uh, dude, that guy. That dude was the king of the. Uh, What's that? Uh, the the bar next to the the Roxy, the uh, you know the Rainbow. Whatever. Rainbow. He was the king when I was like a youngster. He was the king 
of cruising the rainbow parking lot and yanking out like, you know, chicks. Uh, he had like the feathered haircut. He wasn't, see, he wasn't afraid to look like he stepped out of the magazine back in those days. Like, uh-huh. you know, 70s male with the mustache and the whole like Tom Selleck vibe or whatever, where th- the rest of my crew that I came up with, you know, cause I had to seek all of the shit out on my own. Like the, the only like really cool th- person maybe at my high school was uh, Jeffrey Lee Pierce. Yeah. But I didn't know him in those days cause he was theater department and I didn't really go to school. Right. <laughs> but by the time I got down to uh, Pierce college down at the uh, West lower West end of the Valley, there was like, I saw these uh, Xerox art pieces stapled up around the campus. Like someone's doing gorilla art. So I finally figure out who the guy doing gorilla art was and it just turns out all the cool people were taking this radio class at Pierce College. Hmm. So we took over the radio station. I had a punk rock radio show in 1978 out in the valley where I was the very first. There was this kid uh, in a members only jacket and a feather uh, hairdo, Fred, that was actually Durf Scratch. And I remember him going like, oh, my God, my hmm. lead, the lead singer of my band just dyed his hair purple. You know, that was fear, of course, whatever. And anyways, sure, uh, yeah. so I found the four or five heads that that um, were into like going over the hill and taking and drinking and living life like I did. And we all just started like going, you know, once you start going out, like you find the joys of what Hollywood was in those days where, you know, you didn't have to have an expensive car. You could have a beat up car. You didn't have to have new clothes. You didn't have to have a cell phone. You didn't have to have a job. Right. Right. You could drive across town in zero traffic to your friend's loft that he's renting for 200 bucks and then have like a, you know, dollar fifty burrito if you get hungry. You could get as many parking tickets on your car as you want because there was no Denver boot. There was no computers to chase down your license or whatever. It was freedom. And we took advantage of it, right? That's how all that, all that great art that came out of LA is because of one reason. That's because it was so cheap to live here. Hmm. It was a metropolitan area by the ocean and all that crap. And it was just, you could survive here hanging out. Like, oh, well, I picked up a couple days here and I got by. Right. You know? No, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. Uh, but for me... Uh, so that was, you know, no, we're here to talk about me, man. I don't <laughs> hear- <laughs> no, 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 I know. But, um, for me, it was like, I, I was raised, you got to get a job, you got to pay your rent, blah, 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 blah. But then I found that so boring after about four or five years where I was just like, well, I could squeak by on this. I could do uh, this. So you're, you, you, you didn't luck out. I lucked out. I really wasn't raised. <laughs> so, well, so I didn't, I didn't have a pattern that I, I had it to form to. I just knew. But one like thing you taught me, one thing hang. I'll never forget, Pete Weiss, is that um, you were the one who I thought uh, uh, you invented the couch tour. Yeah, couch touring. The yeah. couch touring. That was that you. Was, it that, was was a, a no, that was a novel concept back in the day. Yeah, couch touring. And you know, it's, 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 I've kind of come up with, I can't pull them out of my top of my head because I never remember things that I've said to people, but I only know when they mir- they come and they tell them to me. Yeah. Oh, dude, like, you know, you invented this, you know, freakopotamus or whatever it is, right? Right. And, uh, but there's a, there's many of these little uh, sayings and things that uh, I've come upon okay. over the years. And then I hear like, 
you know, uh, spoken back to me. And I'm like, oh, shit, yeah. You know, I hoaged that Sammy. I don't know. Well, which is the one? Now, Thelonious Monster's first record, it was called what? Baby, you're bumming my life out in a supreme fashion. And that, I thought, was you. Wasn't you? Was that your uh, saying? That Actually, we used to, those were... uh, I bummed out a supreme fashion was mine, right? Yeah, you're bumming Bob, my nation. You're bumming my nation. Right. But Bob is the one who assembled it into the uh, lyrical phrase that, that it is. Yeah. You know, and, and what a uh, unique document that album is if you uh, drop a needle on it today. Yeah. Because uh, nothing, nothing sounds like that record. It's just fucked up in, the, in just the most fucked up way. You know, yeah. there's, a, there's, there's always the thing with the lonely monster is, is I, you know, me and Bob come at it from different directions completely until recently. Um, but there's all, always been like, a, like you're almost embarrassed to try to pull it off straight, even though what you really want to do is a three minute pop song that everyone's going to fall in love with. Yeah. But you're so embarrassed at the format that you throw in every other deflection like you use to get through life into the mix to create the 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 music it's crazy well pete renee and i have talked about bands you know since we started doing this show because you know we're in new orleans here it's music city and stuff and i'm from los angeles but there were bands that i've told renee about that you know they were so good live but they could never make it in the studio. Like, and I thought like Fishbone was one of those bands. Well, the thing with Fishbone is I love Fishbone. Yeah, who doesn't? I love those guys. But the thing with Fishbone is, is they're a democracy, right? Every guy's got to say, they don't have one dude on top of the pile going like, no, you have to have a guy, whether it be the rest of the dudes in the act, like knowingly ceding authority to somebody, but someone's got to like, because their music sounds like it's going in every direction at once. It is. It's, it's the greatest live act that you can see, but the, the songwriting just spreads out in so many different directions. Right. So I think that's why, and like everyone needs their, their spot. There's gotta be a horn spot there, but, uh, there was other bands like that too. I thought, like I thought, um, the plugs, Crusados, never carried over onto vinyl. Well, the um, you know, the the one with the the uh, Bukowski quote, the orange one, never mind, never something. That was like it came out in a strange time because it's is uh, Slash did a thing back in I think eighty or eighty one, where all of a sudden Dills turned into rank and file. And then the uh, the the plugs released this really produced talking about slash record. records, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, the plugs released this really produced sounding record. Yeah. So for the for the ears of the day, you really had to like check the momentum of the music you were listening to get to them. So they they kind of came out of left field. I was lucky, like being a little bit older, so I kind of got it. But in retrospect, you listen to those records, you go like, oh wow, those guys were genius. Like jumping punk rock and fast tempos and noisy guitars early on hmm. for songwriting craft. Like, hey, we were teenagers, and this gave us an avenue to express our creativity, and that was a great way to get to where we're going. But this is like who we are as as we evolve as humans. So, yeah, there, those those were, uh, you know, I was never a, a major Plugs fan. You know, because I just didn't think they had the songs that much. 
Well, I, you know, I, I saw them a million times. Yeah. Right? Well, you go out, you just see bands and stuff like, I can't there even remember like half the, uh, the bands I see. There was bands like the Alley Cats that were like incredible live act. They played like every gosh darn show you could ever check out. I said, gosh darn, you guys swear on the show, right? I've been so yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, you can say whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, but they were so damn uh, great live and they never uh, amounted to a hill of beans, you know? Huh. Yeah, well, that happened. But, I mean, look at the, uh, you know, look at, you know, there's a lot of bands like that. But listen, I think it's time, Renee, to take our break. Really? Okay. Are you ready? Are you having a cocktail? Yeah, we're going to go, uh, we, I'm going to go take a leak and fill, uh, get another libation, and we'll come back, we'll plug some sponsors, and we'll get back to the great Pete Weiss. Hold on, hold on, hold on, before you break. You have sponsors? <laughs> we have a sponsor, yes. We have a sponsor, Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. You might know who it is. Yes, yes. We'll we'll save that as a as a as a big reveal after the break. Be back, back. Nation, you do the same. And we're back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coman, back with our guest, Mr. Pete Weiss. Now, Pete, I'm not sure you're familiar with uh with this product that uh that we've been associated with, the troubled nation's been associated with, but uh you may uh you I, I'm pretty sure you know the the man behind the product. So Manny, why don't you go ahead and tell him about this great sponsor? Pete, it's the Velo Bar. Do you know about the Velo Bar, Pete? I uh, think you do. Yeah. Yes. This bar tastes great. It's a healthy protein bar that will fill you up and calm you down. And who doesn't need to be calmed down right now with all the stress we're going through in this country, in our nation, in the world? Everyone's freaking out. Yes. This is crazy. This is a healthy protein bar that has 25 milligrams of CBD per bar. It's the perfect dose to take the edge off of whatever you're dealing with right now. And, of course, we're all dealing with a lot of shit, a lot of shit. You know, superfood ingredients, pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, chia seeds, it's a great breakfast bar. It's great after a workout. It's great after fucking. You know, it's, it's, it's something sure. good to have, you know. Yes. And right now, Pete, right now, or not now, or tomorrow, or the next week, or the next two weeks, you can go to VeloBarCBD.com and order as much as you want and get 15% off your order. If what? You, yeah, 15%, Pete. And if, okay. you use, if you use a troubled code... The, no, the discount code Troubled Men 15% off right now. Troubled Men 15. And Renee, what and do we love the most? It's what got do we love free the most? shipping. We love the free shipping. Free shipping. But that's not all, Manny, because there's actually they're sweetening the pot uh, for for a limited time. Really? Is, you yes. Tell. You tell. Yes, yeah. because uh, the the CEO. Uh, uh, Message me today. He said they, for a limited time, have a, a new uh, Velo Bar sticker. It's a takeoff on the classic pop art image, the love uh, uh, image. You know, it's like L O on top of V E. Oh you know, yes, a, yes. So it's a, it's a it's a it's a reworking of that uh, in for uh, for the Velo Bar. So any, I heard it was a work of genius, personally. Yes, yes. It's a it's a work of genius. So so uh, if if anyone who who places an order in the 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 next the coming weeks will will get uh, get a special promotional so sticker. What a great holiday gift. Yes. Stress bars, Velo Bar CBD with 25 milligrams of that beautiful stuff. And you get this historic sticker. Yes. Right? Yes. I mean, it's a historic. I don't know what the size is. Do you know what the size is? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a sticker size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So check it out for all you old hippies and stuff like that. Yes. And uh, Who are you calling an old hippie? I'm calling everyone over um, 
I'm an old 57. hippie. Yes. I'm an old hippie. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm not 57 yet. Not um, quite. But check it out, Nation. You know the deal, Nation. And tell all your friends. Go to VeloBarCBD.com. Use our promo code. Get 15% off. Free shipping. And now a free sticker. So yes. check it out. The holidays are right around the corner. And no one can go out and visit their family. You know, nope. there's no gatherings. Right. You know, none of that's going on. So check it out. So what else we got going on, Renee? Well, so uh, as always, if you want to support the podcast directly, you can uh, jump on that PayPal account and, uh, you know, uh, contribute to the cocktail fund or just the general operating fund. And, uh, you know, you can buy us a drink. And uh, as well as we have the second run of the Trouble Men podcast T-shirts, uh, and and we're getting feedback from that first run. We're actually getting some photographs from uh, people that ordered them, and now they've been delivered, and uh, they're taking pictures of themselves and sending them in. So anyone that's ordered a T-shirt, take a picture of yourself and send it to us. You know, we have the Troubled Men Podcast at gmail.com, you know, or you can send it to us through Facebook. And uh, But we're very interested in, in seeing the Troubled Nation representing with the... With the uh, with the, the shirts and, and, and they're still available. N- new run is a new campaign is out there now. Excellent. Okay. Just in time for the uh, holidays. Yes. Gift giving season. That's right. Yes. You know, cause everyone needs something. Right. So uh, back to our guest, Mr. P. That was inspiring gentlemen. Thank you. You like that? Yeah. yeah First off, I have some uh, notes about your, the start of your show. Yeah. Uh, well, you guys, bur- you guys buried the lead. I'm all the way out here in Los Angeles and you guys buried the lead on the priest of the church. What was happening was that the, one of the dominatrix was wearing a strap on and they were defiling the priest's bottom end as he leaned over the altar. I'm not sure that the, that's exactly accurate, but uh, sure. That is accurate. Oh, I have oh. read that. Yes. Okay. That was, that was what was going on in that case. Okay. Allegedly. According to one of the guys. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I just wanted to and, and, uh, and allegedly, you know, uh, actually, uh, Pete and I know each other because we were in a boy band in the eighties. Oh, okay. That's how we that. Yeah. Oh, all right. They were, we were called the Chevrolet. Man, do you remember? Do you remember this adventure? It was uh, Thelonious Monster, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, the Two Free Stooges. Yes. At that hotel up in Palo Alto on my birthday yes. on LSD, yes. where Mike Mart chased around the people around the pool throwing yes. the furniture in. Yes. Uh, and then we went next door to the steakhouse and they had a piano bar or whatever. And it was like one of the greatest days of my life. That was, well, that was like for me, one of the first, that was like my first tour ever. It was at Stanford. Yeah. We were at Stanford university. Did the marching band march through at the beginning? I think they did. We were at some field or something. (laughs) I just remember being in, in fleas, uh, Cadillac convertible. Right. Yes. Driving across the grass and like, (laughs) just whatever. And well, I remember anyways. it was probably like my first gig I ever did out of town. So it was really exciting for me. That would have been my – the reason I brought that up is that would have been my very last show behind the drum kit. For us, yes. For the Two Free Stooges, yeah. the band that I helped create. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But listen, hey, listen, speaking of drummers for the Two Free Stooges, Renee got some weird Instagram or through another friend. I figured it out. I figured it out, Manny. Oh, what is it? Figured it out. Okay, so somehow I got the name screwed up. As it turned out, the guy who was friends with our former guest, Doug Belote, is the guy, Matt TQ. Matt. Oh, Matt, yeah. Yes, okay. 
Because why? Well, yeah, how did Aaron see, Mendoza come up then? Who was well, that? Have you seen Matt check you on social media? I, 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 oh my God, is it an embarrassment? Oh, oh my God. Is it really? So. <laughs> well, first off, first off, he was in that hunk of flaming turd shit okay. that goes to the canyon, <laughs> right? Which was that look back at the uh, Laurel Canyon music scene, oh, right? God. And they, it starts with Beck and Jace, Jacob Dylan or whatever the. Yeah. And they're talking about the songs and like, I made it through 10 minutes once I heard them try to recreate and the movie was about them recreating the sound in the studio. And I'm like, you hacks one and all, there isn't a legitimate soulful membrane in your bodies. You people are, a, you want to talk about the Laurel Canyon music scene. I could drop a conspiracy theory on you that would spin your head. Wow. But the entire Laurel Canyon music scene. You know, I gave that, uh, that that's a Netflix thing, right? I don't know, but. Uh, I gave I, it like 90 seconds. I did a seconds. podcast on it. It was fantastic. I gave it yeah. 90 seconds and I turned it off. I didn't know Matt was a part of that. Oh, yeah. But the, the, the conspiracy theory is that the CIA started the Laurel Canyon scene because the children that we looked to that were so Stephen Stills and Frank Zappa and almost all of them had parents that were in the military industrial complex, dark arts. Hmm. And there was a massive CIA uh, station up on Mulholland drive where further on, there was a whorehouse that J. Edgar Hoover used to anyways, it goes on and on and on. And it's just one of the most uh, exciting and fun conspiracies, whether it's true or not is that was always like the, Beside the that was point. my take. Right, right. Well, that's, that, that was the take of my podcast. Like, I do not care if this is true or not. What I'm exploring is the actual conspiracy theory. Idea of right? it. Yes, yes. The possibility, and, and how the puzzle. And how it. fantastic. Right. And how much information there is that could support such a, like, unholy theory right, as that. Right. So well, great. Anyways, well, go well, on with your show, well, guys. You know, so I, I, what I wanted to get back to, you like you're touching on it with this this uh, this one trip with with uh, two free stooges and and the Thelonious Monster and, and the pet and the chili yeah, well, peppers. Yeah, that ended because my band continued on to uh, Canada where we, where we got to Toronto. It was our first time in Canada. And uh, we didn't understand that the beers were twice as strong. Mm. So when Bob had finished his six pack, He'd already finished a 12 pack right. when he got on stage and he fell off the stage and hacked his leg open Ooh. so bad. They had like erector sets on the corners of the stage. Oh, probably Jesus. Gonna, you know. right. Anyways, that, that was the one show we played and we canceled the rest of the two years. Well, I wanted to ask you, so, you know, it's, it seems like in, in my, my uh, contact with LA bands, they it seemed like there was a, a tradition of bad behavior. Like that was, uh, you know, it was, uh, uh, you know, people kind of running amok a little bit, and and you guys are already talking about how you know uh, you, everybody was taking a lot of drugs. Uh, I know eventually the scene kind of collapsed under the weight of of, uh, of a lot of drug taking, well, but was was it was it rampant at that point, or how how long? What was the arc of all of that? Well, the thing is, is like I chipped up until I had a model girlfriend. I mean, wife. Mm -hmm. I mean, girlfriend, wife. And I had a, a steady uh, supply of cash, right? But uh, you got to understand, Thelonious Monster was kind of the center of the cyclone. Because like the Chili Peppers were national. Jane's Addiction, their very first show, Perry bo uh, booked in a, uh, a loft. And it was Thelonious Monster and Jane's Addiction. 
because he wanted our crowd, right? Because he oh. saw that, like, so we weren't, we were the party band. We were the band that you'd show up and, you know, get wasted to and stuff like that. Because the band, we didn't have pretension of trying to be professional and make it, right? Okay. So that left it that we were there for the experience. But you know, and it excuse wasn't me, Pete, just. Excuse me, though. There was a point, though, I thought with Thelonious that people came to see Bob crash. No, no, no. Because it was. A, I think so. Like in the some greatest, way. No. No, because the greatest the greatest uh, compliment was ever paid to the, the band is that Bob had gone to see uh, Keith Richards and the expensive winos at the Palladium. Yeah. And Bob's a massive Tom Waits fan, right? So he's sitting there peeing at the, in the bathroom, and he looks to his left, and oh, my God, it's Tom Waits, right? And so Bob goes like, oh, my God, because, you know, Bob is such a sycophant. Uh, oh, my God, it's Tom Waits. It's Tom Waits. You're my favorite. You're my favorite. And Tom Waits says... Hey, calm down, Bob. And Bob, like, there's a huh? <laughs> he goes, like, you, you, you know my name? He goes, yeah, you're, you're that kid, Bob from uh, Thelonious Monster, right? And uh, Bob goes, like, yeah. He goes, yeah, my wife just loves you guys, seen you guys a bunch. Hey, tell me one thing. When you and that drummer fight on stage, is that, is that stick? Is that part of the act? And Bob's <laughs> going, like, no. And he goes like, I knew it. I love that stuff. <laughs> because the thing is, Bob, like Bob would want to ramble on and be drunk and talk about himself. And I'm like, dude, this is, I'm up here to fucking rock out. You know, I'm not, I hear you all the time and you piss me off. Why do I have to sit here with you? Have Just because you have the microphone doesn't mean we want to hear you speak. You know, and later well, I remember, was, I remember one time he was speaking and you just started to play and he ran up on top of your drum sets and you, picked him up by the waist and just threw him around five feet to the ground. That would happen. But yeah. see, the thing is, is that's, I think that was the quality and has always been the quality of my rock band is honesty, right? We didn't have, we didn't have a shtick or, or, uh, you know, anything to fall back on. You just like these insanely, a uh, diverse, extreme personalities would all get on stage together. Okay. And, so, and and find commonality through a groove that we kind of all hear the same way. So how honest do you think is that documentary about Bob? I that's dude, get me started on that one. So this gal comes up to us, Kira Baruth, and she yeah. says, Hey, she goes, Hey, I want to make a documentary. I've got and Bob's like, Oh, she's got credits. That's great. And I we just <laughs> started uh, playing again. We made a record called California Clam Chowder. And uh she goes, I want to make a, a movie about a band, the best band that no one's ever heard of, and really look back at the da, 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 da. I go like, oh, wow, you know, someone paid attention, I guess. You know, like someone wants to slap me on the back and say, good job, buddy. Like, who am I to say no? And it was still, I'd just gotten sober. I was like two years sober, like real sober. And like all of a sudden, like because the, the music thing was such a dark stain on my life that I, I was motivated. I and they were talking about this. I was motivated by like the three things that used to motivate me about music is that somehow if I play music, I'm going to get pussy, <laughs> um, stature amongst my peers, right? Right. Or money or all three, a combination. That's what motivated me, right? Yeah. So she kind of tickled that part of me that that's ugly. And I bit. So we start, she starts making this movie. We grant her access and interviews. And I turn over all these tapes that I've made on the road on a camcorder, mm -hmm. right? Real personal shit. Right. Because like, if they're going to tell the story, tell the story. But in that interim, Bob had, be, had started um, celebrity rehab. 
Oh, that show, yeah. And that's then all of a sudden it was a movie about Bob in recovery, not about the band. Uh huh. Uh, so I was so pissed off. I told her like, pull my pull my clips. This is okay. not what I signed up for. This is not why I turned these clips over. I never signed a contract. Dut, 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 dut. And she's like, gulp, gulp, gulp. And I'm like, 25 G's, yo. Period. <laughs> 25 G's. Huh? And I got my lawyer. He signs up a contract. I signed a contract. They give me $2,500 for festival rights. Bob has a uh, internet radio show. And I go on it. And I was the guest DJ. And I discuss the film. And da, 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 da. So I was supposed to get first dollar as soon as the distributor gave her a penny. I get first dollar. It's in my contract, right? Yeah. She says that I disparaged her on the radio and she's not paying me another penny. Mm. So, and anyways, that's why that movie's like the first 35 minutes of it, 40 minutes are so good. Yeah. It's so good when you actually see the people and what was going on and the energy. And then all of a sudden it becomes like a, you know, I didn't really care for that claymation stuff. Yeah, and also that. well, that's that's just you. I mean, that's fine. I don't I don't care about yeah. that. But that's because the only reason they use that is because they changed the narrative. That wouldn't be the narrative of, of a movie about the band, right? That'd be part of the narrative of a movie about Bob Forrest, and who we really care. What I did the love, Jimmy shot him up. What I did love was the the map of the area. You know. I haven't seen the thing since it was released. I, Fountain, I, I no Fountain, to, Fountain to Hollywood Boulevard to Gower to Cahuenga. That's where everyone hung out, you know, that right. area. You yep. know? That, that's what I really liked. About. But I didn't really care for, I mean, I, mean, I don't want to really be, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say it, but I think you're right. That first 30 minutes is really great. But then they right. start. The stuff about the music's fine. The stuff about Bob is like, it's just, a, you know, and I was so pissed off at him because he's, you know, he's burnt me every single time. But let's let's say something that since we're in the present right now, yes, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, last summer, our original guitar player, Chris Hansen, had moved off to France and then he moved off to Minnesota. And he's like, you know, probably your age. And he said, like, I've been writing some songs. Uh, da, 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 da. So him and Bob hatched this story, this plan that he's going to come out here and we're going to try to write a record in, you know, whatever, eight days. And I'm like been burnt so many times before. I say, hey, you know what? You tell me when and where I'll show up with some drumsticks. That's as that's as much as I'm committing to. Right. So we got together and uh, me, Martine, Chris, and Dix. Martine uh, Noble, yes. Yeah, yep. From the Porno for Pyros. And we uh, spent 32 hours writing songs. And then two weeks later, Josh Klinghoffer, who was at that time in the Chili Peppers, um, I think he was in the Chili Peppers, Either way, it was right around when he got kicked out. He says, oh, I got some studio I work at a lot. It's got a couple of days. Come down. And, so me, Dixon, and Martine went down there and tracked what turned out to be, you know, like eight songs. And uh, so at one point, uh, you know, and then I divorced myself from the project until a friend of mine, a talented guy named Mike Sample, goes like, hey, what happened to that tape? And I go, I don't know. He says, I'd like to try mixing a song. What I'm getting at between me and Bob now, after all these years, I know who he is. But the thing is, he knows who he was. And he's done everything he can. And he, so we're working on this record. And the first day we're doing lyrics, I've always like, I'm kind of running shit right now because it's just me and Mike. And Bob comes in and I make a suggestion about a lyric. And he's like, okay. And from then on, like we're about two songs into the record. It's like, 
I don't know what's wrong with me. I should have listened to you fucking 30 years ago. This is because we'd work on the lyrics and his phrasing and shit together to get the best possible result. Okay. And it was like, it was so great. It was a, that's the real redemption story right there. That's that lovely, man. His, no, that's his, terrific. his respect for my intellect and my taste and my choices that was, he always saw as such a threat, you know, because right. in his own way, he had a, like, he has a small dose, medium dose of Trumpism. Okay. Like he's going to get his period. Right. <laughs> you know, we're about to sign a, uh, you know, we're the next band out of LA to go major 1989. Bob starts going out with Marin Hopper, Dennis Hopper's daughter. Yeah. We, we get new management. Bob ditches the band and signs a solo deal for half a million dollars. Yeah, um, I know. What happened with that project? Yeah. Well, Thelonious Monster had, you know, our bass player, Rob Graves, OD'd and died. So we got back together for a memorial. We got up on stage and everyone associated with Bob Forrest goes like, uh-oh, it was the band too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh-oh, it wasn't just him. It was the band. It was him in this band. Right. That's, yeah. what, that's what rocks. Right. You take them out of that environment and it's not the same thing. Man, so, music, music alchemy is so, uh, you know, people think, oh, yes, the, here's this one element. That's really the, the, the nugget of it. But it's not. That's not what it is, man. It's, no. it's a very delicate balance. And, if, you, know, the, you know, again, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm not a trained drummer. Right. I'm always oh, every time I sit down behind the drum kit and it's not a catastrophe, I've overachieved. <laughs> so the difference being is this. I have to respond emotionally to a situation. Right. Because I don't have craft to lean back on. Mm -hmm. Right. So I just have to go for it. I don't have any other. I don't have a default mechanism that goes to slick. Right. right. You can't coast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I th and, and, and you, pa you pair that with Bob Forrest, who is overly emotional as a front man right he's mm -hmm. just like that's his stock and trade right. and i think that is you know you surround yourself like both you know neither of us had played in a you know had much musical experience before we started this thing and the, the quality and the caliber of musicians who signed up to play with me is you know people oh i'm humbled by this no 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 this is actual humbled by like you know actual Credible and fantastic musicians, Xander, Dix, you know, Martine, Dallas, Don. It's like they all chose to flee and all those guys, they all chose to play with us and play with me with my limited skill set. Kind of amazing. You know. Well, they, they, they dug where you were coming from, man. Like you're talking about the, I, the emotionalism of it. You know, that's really, that's the stock and trade of rock and roll, man. It's honesty, right? That's what rock and roll brought was honesty. Like I'm not going to kind of hedge hedge around something when i when i'm excited by something i'm gonna scream it out loud right, right. my guitar is gonna go go insane i'm not gonna just play some riffs i'm gonna go mad because right. that's the emotion that people that people need to connect with you know well anyway we were getting you started we, we got sidetracked but you were starting on uh, to you were continuing to tell the story about how the how uh these first uh uh sessions that y'all wound up doing last year um, right. So snowball. So well, what happens? So me and Mike Semple go, uh, it's COVID's just hit. Right. So I get this thing. We go over there. <laughs> Excuse me. The first night we're in the studio, me and Mike work on some stuff. Next night I bring in Bob and Josh Klinghoffer showed up cause he happened to be in town and, uh, cause he you know, joined Pearl Jam anyways. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we start working on this one track and it's fantastic. So a deal was struck that let's finish, you know, 
Pete, you're in charge. Uh, let's work at, uh, we're going to pay Mike's rent for two months because he was about to close down. He's like, a, he does commercials and movies and stuff like that. He was in a band called friends of Dean Martinez. Uh, mm-hmm. He's out of the two, he's out of the Tucson uh, scene, you know, Don okay. show. Uh, what's a, you know, uh, I can't remember the band, the big band out of there, but he's, he, he was, uh, uh, he was born of that scene, but he's a, it, insanely uh great musician so this was the first ever project i you know besides a few films i've made etc where i was absolutely in complete control and i had a instrument to my you know that i was on the exact same wavelength sonically with and creatively with is this guy mike semple and so me and him just hunkered down and out of the these shells i mean we barely had songs we crafted this 10 song record right Okay. And so we we do this record and like okay that's fun it's done play it for a couple of friends end of t- end of subject then Bob gets this email from this dude Gideon out of Holland now Gideon had booked us back in the day I think he booked he he was probably working for Pink Pop but he was like a, an underling but right. what happens so often in life is the people that you meet twenty thirty years ago all of a sudden they're running shit you know mm-hmm. Paul Tellet who's just our friend at Golden Voice is Coachella. You know, that kind of stuff. Right. So this guy Gideon emails Bob and he's like, wow, I saw an Instagram photo that you put up of Martine and Dick's in the studio. Are you guys making music? And if so, are you going to tour? And who's releasing your record? Europe. And Bob says, yes, we've made a record and we have no plans of any sort. And he goes, consider the European record deal done. I'll make a phone call on Monday. Oh, so on Monday, he calls back and he goes like, deal's done. (laughs) and then i didn't know but the company he's releasing it through has a distribution deal with v2 which is a you know pretty major action v2 that's like an actual and they end up they're printing uh vinyl cds and digital release which is tote bags and nice nice so this is the first time i've ever made music with zero expectations None whatsoever. First of all, I don't need any stature in my life. I am who I am. I'm cool with it. You know, if, if I have people's respect, I've already earned it. I don't have to try to go out and earn it, right? Right. Money. There's no money in music, right? Right. There's, right. Just, there's no money. I'm 61 years old. I, you know, it's different when you're like 30 and you and you want to like have the, the the girls, you know, grab onto you. Any, that's not the audience that's going to listen. You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's not part. So all those enticements have been removed. And what you're left with is like the pure expression. And what excites me is that somewhere, it's someplace in Europe, someone's going to buy that CD Mm -hmm. and they're going to take it home. And they're going to listen to like, what I think there's this one song on the record called uh, 16 Angels where Bob used to know the schizophrenic guy in Hollywood. And the guy would say, look at man, like when I take my medicine, you know, the voices go away. But I, when I do, I see like everyone treats me like shit. I'd rather be insane. Right. And take my chances. So we did this song uh, where Bob goes through this thing, but at the end of the song, the last two and a half, three minutes is this, I don't know how to describe it's like this uh, guitar, saxophone, drum, bass, cacophony, space, rock, heavy. It just, it's the heaviest section of music we've ever recorded. And just to know that someone's going to be exposed to that uh-huh. is so exciting to me. Nice. Yeah. Nice. 
so so out of that you have uh the first Thelonious monster record in 16 years that's coming out on november 3rd right yeah we don't gotta hype it i, I okay well that's i like to do I that it, it makes it feel like I, a, like a real show when i do that pete <laughs> yeah exactly it makes you feel like it's a real but, but, yeah, pete, yeah. But pete there was a, a period uh, like a year or so where you were uh the most famous uh mc on the holly in the hollywood scene you were that was the, for a number of years, Manny. Yeah. You were the MC for the two Free Stooges. I invented yes. that position so I could get in free to the party. <laughs> yeah. I, I had one really good night at the lingerie when I did. You guys were stalling. It might have been the candy candy thing. And you guys, when you were back at the, that was the greatest rock moment maybe in my entire life. Oh, the, the, the Manny. The two Manny. Free Stooges are doing Candy Candy by uh, Iggy and Kate Pearson of the B-52s, right? Right, but we, made it, we, <laughs> called it, we called it Manny Manny. Right, but the, the, the story <laughs> is they start the song regularly and they get into a fight and the and Manny quits the band mid-song, mid right? <laughs> sure. and, and within yeah, 20 sounds, seconds, sounds, sounds they get legit. to the, the part, Kate Pearson's part, where she's like, I've been away. And Manny's singing from the sound. And, and the, the, the span of one song, the band broke up and then had a triumphant. Because <laughs> when Manny left, I'm going, Dick Rude, the one free stooge. <laughs> but I was like, I was covering because Manny had quit the band. Sure. <laughs> and I went, up, I went up to the soundboard and you know who's running the soundboard is our own Carlo Nuccio. Oh, okay. Carlo's back there. Yeah, yeah. Carlo, yeah. Yes, and Carlo yes. gives me the mic and I say, I, and over the PA, I go, well, Dick, thanks for apologizing and all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think you owe me. And all of a sudden, Dick goes, come back down here, Manny. We love you, Manny. And I run back on stage. And, <laughs> and the, I'm Manny wow. Schifferling, ladies and gentlemen. And, and, and the nurses and us and all, the, like, hugging each other and stuff. Uh, that that was, you don't like musical like, theater, Manny. Yeah. Sounds, Manny, what, sounds, one sounds thing, like Keith Barry, the tree. Yeah, you tree. tree. Uh -huh. You are his favorite band in the history of time. Really? Yep. Is, is he, he still doing like, that school? Is he doing the school? I, the school that I started that I'm still at, that's oh. the Conservatory of Music. Okay, yeah. We have a nonprofit music school at 4652 Hollywood Boulevard. We started in Sunset Junction as a storefront, but in the interceding 20 years, because of Flea's star power and our good mission, right. yes. we've raised a shit ton of money so that we are uh, able to buy this uh, – Large property it was the Colonial Dame Cosmetics Factory, the first cosmetics company in the United States of America that was on the uh, at Hollywood in Vermont. You probably, Manny, right, remember it used to have these big white colonial pillars in front yes. of it, and it oh, completely cool. out of oh, place. Yeah, yeah, those were original to the building because it was Colonial Dame, but then we pulled them down because I found out her father was a general. In it. anyway, so we bought this wonderful big building right now. Um, we have about 800 and something students going there on one-to-one wow. -one lessons, and a third of them are on full scholarship. Wow, man. That's quite a quite a operation you got going there. Jesus. Yeah, it's fantastic. You, you know, it's like we, have, we have these uh, benefit concerts, right? Last mm -hmm. year was like, you know, whatever. It was Chili Peppers and Eddie Vedder. The year before was uh, Randy Newman. Nice. Oh, Randy wow. Newman sitting at the, 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 the Baldwin just ripping up. It was one of the greatest things, but we've had like Patty Smith and like, it just, it goes on and on people oh, that are willing you, to, like, to rock out for us. Neil Young, dude, they had a Neil Young gig. There's a, there's a, uh, 
a state up in the Silver Lake Hills called the Paramore. It's a 1930s noir-looking Spanish colonial out in the, you know on a huge piece of property, and we we set up this uh, stage in the backyard. You know, 350 people on terraced you know uh, floors, and Neil Young's stage was at the bottom of the hill, but up in the trees, like 12 feet. So mm-hmm. Neil Young did a solo show, like up in this surrounded by like pine lit up pine trees. It was just like the most insane night ever. Wow, anyway, cool. so that's what we do. I think I saw something about 10 years ago about this school on some uh, PBS channel. No, or yeah, something. yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. He was on Travis Mallory. It's a big deal. What happened is that I started a place like Flea came to me with this idea that, Hey, I want to start a music school for tree. I, he's been out, I told him this years ago and he hasn't done anything. Could you help him? And yeah. within uh, three weeks, we were breaking ground. Excellent. And, and I set the whole thing up and blah, blah, blah. But then after about six months when we actually were open and teaching, Tree hadn't quite matured as a human being and I had to have him fired, right? <laughs> oh, no. So cut to about five months later and Flea's like, look, I want to bring Tree back. Like, here's 10G. Do you mind taking a powder? I'm like, no, that's fine. <laughs> and so, you know, it's a bummer. I should have stuck around. Anyways, uh, and then I worked the next decade as a, a union boom operator. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. So I had like a union gig, which is great. And then I got politicked out of that job. And then it was dark about four or five years ago. Oh, my God. Try to be Manny. Try to be your age and lose like your entire career and, and base. It, was, it, it sucked. But the answer is into the wisdom that you've accrued over these years and, and the things that you've seen and your place, if you can define your place in the world and most importantly, be humble, you know, be humble. Like even when you guys ask me to do this, I'm like, I don't do, I mean, I had the pot. Someone asked me to do the podcast. I was, I did with Keith Morris, right. The blow right. mind show with Pete and Keith. I didn't like, Hey, I want to be on, do a podcast, but someone approached me with the concept and said, would me and Keith do this thing? And then I said, if you ask me to do it, I'll do the best job I can, but I don't need to be seen or heard anymore. That's the same thing with this album. It's like, it's not about the attention. I can't, I don't get off on the attention anymore. In fact, attention is a sickness of the society, right? It is, it is, especially now, yes. That's one thing, but to think that you're working out what is an existential dilemma that you have yet to face about your existence because you think of people see you when I was a youngster, they broke out a TV camera, like the news guy came out. Right. Mm. And they, he's going to do a live report, man, did we run to get behind that thing? Cause we thought if we got captured on film that we were somehow existed, sure. like that there was proof of our existence. Yes. And well, you're going to live forever too. You're on right. TV. And you're going to live forever. Immortality, yes. But what it says, it puts a mark down that I have existed. Right. right. And so if, if you're making art is what you're doing is you're trying to explain the unexplainable and the, and, and the spirit of what being alive is in whatever manner that you can, because it's, it's not something that you get to do 24 hours a day. So you're like, I need to connect to like whatever you could call it spiritual. You could just call it harmonic. You could call it whatever the hell you want to. It's, sure. You know, who knows who's right about the topic, but what's happened to society, I believe is this attention getting thing rather than like, you know, doing Coke for too long and being up at, you know, after two days at six o'clock in the morning and going through the darkest stuff that a human brain can go through and making it out the other side and taking that wisdom as a lesson to live your life, never facing that because you're getting all this 
outside, um, you know, people backing you up from the outside, people you don't know, right? Right. Like the celebrity, like, you know, Flea's famous is all get out, right? And he's really nice about it. But I think the worst part about being famous is being famous. You know, we're sitting there eating lunch and motherfucker wants to come and like stick his face in and take a picture. Why? You know? I, I remember I was uh, I was used to work in the film biz too, and uh, I'm gonna, uh, Bob Dylan uh, never told me never to drop names, but I'm going to make an exception this time. <laughs> sure, right? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so I'm, I'm working on this movie, Cat People, and the Stasi Kinski, like the you know she was the most beautiful woman in the world at the time, and we were the same age, and we were sparking and all that stuff. Anyways, that's a whole other story. But someone she goes, I don't like giving autographs. And I go, well, don't just shake their hand because. To get an autograph of somebody means that you're proving that you actually, you and that person cross paths, right? Now, who are you proving that to? Now, if I come up to you and say, hey, Manny, I saw Nastasia Kinski last night. And you go like, oh, no way. And, I, and you need proof. Well, then fuck you, Manny. <laughs> but you just say like, oh, wow, that's great. Right? You don't need the evidence. Sure. Well, if I trust you as a friend, to be honest, not even that. I just don't think like this whole having my picture taken so I exist, getting a signature to prove that I was there. It's like, why not like be a little bit? Renee has two kids. I have a fifteen-year-old kid, and it's all about that now, man. It's all about that. I mean, you know. Well, you as your you as their stewards. Okay, so about ten years ago. Uh, just because I like, I'm, you know, I do research, I'm knowledgeable or whatever. I'm not like a, you know, whatever. Um, I started putting my hand in front of my face when anyone ever took out a cell phone to take my picture. Not because I'm like, oh, don't take, you know, I'm vain and I don't want my picture taken. But I was trying to send up a signal that, that like, you shouldn't be so free with your image to have it spread out where you don't know where it's going. Because, you know, facial recognition, gentlemen, uh, you know, you know as well as I do. Uh, your conspiracy inclinations there, yes. Not well, even I that. It's, okay, it's but just, I think, uh, remember uh, Kaczynski's manifesto? He was right for the most part. Right. For the I, was, people. <laughs> I the for that for years. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> but you know what they left out in the, the Kaczynski uh, documentary? That was when that? he was at Yale, they said that he was in that program where his uh, – his counselor was trying to break him by saying that, like, oh, your theories don't hold water and you're full of shit. Not because he didn't believe him, but just to beat the kid down to see if they could control his him inside, like basically training him for the CIA. Right. So they could like but they didn't say that he was also involved in Leary's acid tests. Oh, okay. Which he was. They left that part out. Okay. Because he, I mean, I agree with so much with that manifesto, man. I really do. And if you ask, if you, Renee can tell you, uh, I, I, I am no good at any of this technology and I'm happy for it. I don't know. Well, how to, you know I just, just got my first pocket calculator, Pete. I just got my I, I heard you earlier say something equally as uh, disturbing, but that's okay. You were talking about, hey, I don't pay attention to the debates and stuff like that, but aren't we turning into a third world country? Yeah, we're turning yeah. into a third country, world country because people don't pay attention to, to what's going on. I, I the know. news is that people are actually, because you know there's such a shit show happening, is that you know I, I have only the most optimistic thoughts for what's going to happen because uh, you know uh, the, the Nazis uh, got beaten into the fucking ground. The uh, 
Confederacy got beaten into the fucking ground. And last week, the four heads of our intelligence departments, CIA, FBI, NSA, whatever, they came out in a joint message, like in a Zoom thing, where they each made a statement saying that the most dangerous thing in the United States threat to America right now is internal uh, white supremacist violence, right? Right. And then what do you hear two days later? That they busted those guys up in uh, Michigan, Michigan for trying yeah. to take the, right? extrapolate further. So all these knuckleheads, like these guys are knuckleheads. They're meeting in a trap door in a basement, planning to do all this stuff. Sure, Ooh. sure, sure. For those guys to think after Edward Snowden, that the NSA, the FBI, the CIA don't know where you live. Don't know that you just bought that ammo. You are right. an idiot. If you raise your little stinky, uh, you know, hooded heads out of the ground, it's going to be whack-a-mole guys. Remember Jade Helm? Either of you guys remember what happened with Jade Helm? Mm. Jade Helm was a uh, done during the Obama administration about two years ago, three years ago, four, maybe six, seven, eight years ago, where the American military did an invasion exercise in Oklahoma and Texas. And all the crackers out there thought that they were coming there to lock them up. Right. In concentration camps, right? And it was a big deal. Like the right wing lost their heads about this thing. You know, it's probably where a lot of the Q stuff came out of. Well, I got news for them. They were planning it because they saw this thing coming. And to think, to be so naive, to think that there's not a plan to take care of these guys, that as soon as the guy that's, you know, William Barr's out of the way, that they'll just put all these plans at work and all these rednecks that want to kill people. You want to be a redneck. God bless you. Be a redneck. That's your right, your privilege. You want to be a racist. That's your right and your privilege. Go ahead and be a racist and be scorned by your fellows. Go right ahead. But if you want to pick up a weapon and turn it against the U.S. government, hell, bro, it ain't going to be like now when they're turning them against the protesters. It'll be a whole different story, my friend. So sure, these crackers sure. better wake up to what's really looking. You know, they've, they've walked themselves out onto a ledge that they're going to have a hard time. So what I say to us as human beings is that once this thing is settling down a little bit, uh, let's approach these people with love and kindness and realize that they were victims of a cult. Like I'm not going to be mad at someone when they come out of Scientology. I'm going to be happy for them. I'm okay. not mad at somebody when they walk into AA. I'm happy for them. Some redemption right? you're saying. Well, the, I tell you what, Pete, this podcast has really taken a turn. It's never taken before, man. It's uh, it's very, very fascinating. Um, uh, but you know, well, stir it back, stir it back, stir it back. Yeah, yeah. Pete, I was going to. one of those guys that we needed to do a part two with. Absolutely, just... absolutely. Well, Pete, I, I was wondering if, if if we could just on the subject of redemption here before we 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 uh, before we close out. Um, there was uh, you you mentioned uh, Pink Pop, you know, the right. giant festival, and uh, how how this fella that's actually involved with. I encourage with everybody to go to YouTube. There's uh, like three or four clips of it, and mm. and notice that what Bob did, which was honest. I mean, it. He's lying on the stage. Well, set it up on a national bit. So TV. Pink, set it up a little bit. That Pink Pop was a huge festival, and you guys had this legendarily uh, bad. Okay. Performance. Well, here's the deal. Pink Pop is the biggest uh, was and probably still is the biggest uh, outdoor festival in Holland, right? right? And the bill that year was Rage Against the Machine and Lenny Kravitz, blah blah, whatever. So we were like, we were on a major label at the time. We're on Capital ish. We're on a, like a sub label at Capitol. Right. And we're over there touring Europe and we're just like doing our usual. So we went up there. I was, I think I'd ran out of dope the night before and I was a little like cranky. 
Mm-hmm. Bob had run out of dope the night before, and he drank a half pint of peppermint schnapps before he walked on stage. Okay. And so the first thing he does is jump in the audience and throw the $10,000 radio mic uh, into the crowd, never to be seen again, taken out of our wages. Uh, and anyway, so we get up there, and, and Bob like does his usual club act, which is he loses his mind. He's completely honest. But the band is ripping I mean, we've been out there playing for a little bit and we are kicking ass as a unit. This is to play white riot. I mean, that thing is like, it's sizzling. So Uh this is going out live over national TV in Holland and Bob's on slips, hits his leg on the monitor. He's lying there on the ground with this like dude that looks like it's out of spinal tap roadie guy that they had for the festival. <laughs> and Bob's going like, we're doing see that my graves kept clean. And goes like, fuck you, Jesus. Fuck you. I don't need you. Like, I just go, <laughs> like just letting it out on stage. So, you know, we leave me and Bob take the train back. I won't sit next to him on the way back to uh, Amsterdam. So we could go cop. And, uh, Cause he's all filthy and I'm like, you fucking asshole. <laughs> Anyways. So it goes down in the, those years right afterwards as the worst set in the history of pink pop, right? This is the biggest debacle ever happened. That's 30 right. years ago, right? Right. <laughs> Over the last 30 years though, there's been a re a reexamination of history. Mm-hmm. And that performance has steadily marched its way up into the top 10 ever best performances <laughs> at Pink Pop. Like, I think it was above the Paul McCartney performance. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so much so that they did a special on Pink Pop and flew a crew, a Dutch crew, NPRO crew, to come out and interview Bob about the gig some 30 years later. Nice. That's why... Because we had a, we had uh, one of the greatest moments of my life as we had this song that I wasn't really a big fan of, of uh, that was a single off of uh, the record. I wasn't a fan of the record we made for Capital at all. It was basically we went in there and had uh, three weeks to salvage Bob's solo record, and there's like you know six originals and four leftovers from his record. Uh-huh. And this was a kind of a reworking of one of his uh, leftovers. Uh, but we had a single, and there was a chart there I saw once where we charted above the rolling motherfucking stones. They were number eight and we were number three. God damn it. It was oh. so, I mean, okay. that's like that. I mean, it means nothing, but no, it's uh, just that's, like, a, that's a fun just to be, Fuck yeah. for just to be in the ballpark, you know, but that's yes. what I, t- I tell young musicians all the time. They're like, when they're like, and I used to, I was the only A&R guy ever hired at uh, Epitaph for a year. Right, because Brett was like, okay. oh my, when Brett was all high, he's like, oh my God, Pete, you brought me Jane's Addiction in my past, and like, whatever. I'm like, I don't know, I don't remember. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but I would tell these kids, like, the greatest moment I ever had in rock and roll is like, we're traveling, we're traveling, we're traveling overnight. I'd always take the overnight drive because I didn't trust anyone else to drive high, and I could drive high. Okay. And uh, I stopped for gas in this little town, and there's a little bit of snow on the ground. And it's, I look up and we're in Clear Lake, Iowa. And it's the day that the Big Bopper and Richie Holly yeah, yeah, yeah. had crashed in Clear Lake, Iowa. Okay. And I thought, oh, you know what? If I don't do anything rock again, it just means I'm part of the continuum. I don't have to be the whole thing. I just have to be the molecule just to, just to participate in this thing. And I'm doing good. Yeah, like just, just fun to be in the game, man. Just sure. like, you know, you don't have to be the whole tire. You can be a spoke is just fine. 
Right on, right on. You know, so that's you know that's my inspirational message for. No, that's anybody. that's terrific. And as Manny said, yeah, we we definitely we we have so much to talk about, and obviously, uh, you have a lot to talk about. Um, <laughs> yeah, we should we should up, uh, right? definitely have you on a on a uh, for a follow up uh, episode. I think we but, should do a follow up episode where all I do is out Manny for all the stories I know about. <laughs> yeah. I think you've gone pretty easy on Manny. I know, I know that you could have uh, easily, but I think Manny, you, you I would do that. Where are, I would. Where are you living in LA? I live in Los Feliz. Oh, you're in Los Feliz. Okay. Right next okay. to the Vista theater. Okay. Okay, cool. But listen, you know, are, are you into steampunk? Uh, no. All right. Well, I'm not into it, but to me, it's the healthiest way to serve punk. Oh, that's right. Just <laughs> steamed, right? Rather than fried. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting to say that for a few shows now. Is okay, that well, is, very good? <laughs> man, is, that is, is, is that is that how desperate your comedy writing has become? Land one pun. It can be pretty weak at times. It can be pretty weak at times, you know. But all right. Well, anyways, so Manny, go end on. the show. End the show. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> We like, we like to say... You want me to end the show for you? No, 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 no. Yeah, listen, listen, Pete. Here's the way it goes. Trouble never ends. But the struggle continues. Good night. Good night. From the Trouble Nation. So this is how it's done. I am the gun. I can't fall back back to the end of school.